Welcome to the Price Hall Podcast. It is April 28th of 2022, and we've brought together an incredible panel of speakers here to talk about a new bill that has made it to the Senate from Dick Durbin, the, uh, the Illinois Senator, uh, titled uh, S.4090, the Dietary Supplement Listing Act of 2022. So what we wanna do here today is understand what this bill means and uh, what exactly is happening in the bill, what the ramifications of this bill would be if it were passed and what some of the action items we may have if, uh, if, if we are potentially opposed to the bill. So uh, Ben, please introduce some of our guests here and let's, let's uh, start to understand it. All right, so we've got a really great uh, crew here today, and I want everyone to understand that everyone in here is in some way in association with the Natural Products Association. We'll get into everyone's titles later on, but first I want everyone to understand the NPA is the nation's largest and oldest since 1936 trade organization representing the natural products industry, including dietary supplements, foods, personal care products, and more. NPA is the industry's watchdog when it comes to interacting with all branches of government domestically and internationally. So first we have Daniel Fabricant, uh, PhD, is the president of and CEO of the Natural Products Association. Uh, Dr. Fabricant served as the director of Division of Dietary Supplement Programs, which is now the Office of Dietary Supplement Programs at the U.S. Fed uh, Food and Drug Association. That is where he directed agency policy, public affairs, and regulatory uh, action regarding regulation of the dietary supplement industry for more than three years. Daniel has a PhD in pharmacology, pharmacognosy from the university. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't read that one Tough before. One. Yeah. Uh, from the University of Illinois at Chicago, where he served as an adjunct professor in the Department of Medicinal Chemistry. And again, pharma, can you say that again for me one more time? Pharmacognosy. <laughs> Since 2009 and holds a chemistry degree from UNC Chapel Hill, where he lettered in football. After Daniel, we have Douglas Kalman, PhD, RD, FACN, is the Senior Vice President of Scientific and Regulatory Affairs for the Natural Products Association. Prior to joining the NPA, Dr. Kalman was the VP of Scientific Affairs for Nutrisource, a nutrition-centric contract research and service organization. Historically, Doug has been involved in over 250 clinical trials and projects within pharmaceutical, medicinal, medical, and exercise nutrition fields. He has published over 80 abstracts and more than 60 peer-reviewed manuscripts. He's also co-editor of one journal and on the editorial board of three scientific journals. I should also add, Doug is a hell of a boxer. Joe Weiss is the president of a branded ingredient developer, Nutrition 21. Nutrition 21 is a partner of leading sports nutrition brands with uh, ingredients such as Nitrosgene, New Level, Velocitol, and Chromax. Joe is a 30-year veteran of the dietary supplement industry, and prior to joining Nutrition 21 in 2016, was responsible for the private brand business at Vitamin Shop, and prior to that, was the head merchant at GNC. Joe sits on the board of directors for the Natural Products Association and has been active in the industry, affair, in industry affairs for decades. So we have quite a crew today, and we're really excited to be talking about this bill. Uh, I want to make it clear that today we're really going to be talking about the structure of the bill, the ramifications of the bill, and how it might be interpreted in our industry, as many of us will be concerned about. So, uh, Daniel, I'm sure you've kind of prepared your initial statement on this. I'd really like you to take it away and we can start exploring this. Sure. Um, and, and the thing we get asked frequently is, well, don't you want the agency to have that information? And the simple response is, in a lot of ways, they already do. Um, and so there's a lot of redundancies. But the bigger thing troubling is, Deshaies really 
designed to give consumers access to with consumer protection. It's balanced that for 28 years. It is, if not the safest commodity FDA regulates, it's one of the safest commodities. So a lot of this stuff is just completely overkill. And really, it's, it's designed in a way that's going to really restrict the industry in size uh, and limit access, limit choices. Um, it, you know, it, it really, everything now moves in commerce um, with respect to how people are setting their shelves. Uh, so this is designed to give FDA a listing authority where they're going to tell you basically what you can and can't set your shelf with. Uh, that's a problem on a number of levels. Uh, we'll dive into the details, uh, you know, but that's kind of the, the opening shot, I think. So you mentioned uh, access to information. So specifically, I mean, if you want to give like a, a high level view of what this sure. proposed bill is, is really it, it, on a very shallow basis, it's asking for more information on things before they come to market. But what we're really concerned about is, is the pre-approval aspect right. of this. That's 100% right, Ben, is this is effectively pre-market approval. And you go, wait a second, for supplements? Yeah, I mean, we don't have pre-market approval for orange juice or chocolate chip cookies or calcium and milk. Um, so you go, wait, this is a little odd. And it's really odd in that you look at the structure of Deshea, you have a new ingredient, uh, you submit an NDI. Um, both, you know, Doug's been a part of that. I've been a part of that. Joe's been a part of that at Nutrition 21. That's a safety rendering, but it's a notification. You send the in information on your safety to the agency, you notify them, you hold out from market 75 days and you go to market. Um, if the agency disagrees with your safety, you still met the burden that the product isn't adulterated. Um, so it's a bit odd in that now, if you have a, let's say a multivitamin or a pre-workout with caffeine, B vitamins, some other ingredients that are old dietary ingredients, if you change the flavor, you now have to get permission from the government to go to market. You have to make the list to go to market. It seems a lot excessive, not a little excessive. Is there, uh, so uh, I think some questions that will come up to here uh, when people hear that kind of stuff, especially brand owners that will be worried, are there um, categories or any sort of information on what would be acceptable or what wouldn't be acceptable, what they could ex uh, expect from that approval process? Um, because uh, we already have Deshea, we already have grass, we already have NDIs. Is there any way to expect, hey, I changed my flavor system, I should expect that this is going to be approved? Or have they laid any groundwork for that? No, there's a lot of um, a lot of vagaries in the bill. And specifically what you have, and, and diving into the text a bit, and I know you guys have a copy of the text, is anything new um, you have to notify. So if you go to page three of the bill, lines four through six, um, Commercial distribution, which has not been included in any listing previously submitted by the responsible person, the secretary in this section, shall be submitted to the secretary prior to introducing the supplement interstate commerce. And you go, okay, well, that seems benign. I just give them a listing. I just give them that. But wait, there's more. Uh, if we go further down that page, lines 39 to 41, it's misbranding. And this is where the words get interesting. If it's a supplement for which a responsible person is required to file a listing under this section, and such, such, such responsible person has not made a listing, right? So it's not the filing, right? If you, Ben, file something, okay, no problem. You send it in. You send it out. This is actually making the list. So if you don't make the list, you're misbranded. That's big for companies. It's, it's already illegal to introduce a misbranded food and dietary supplement into commerce. That goes with the Food Drug Cosmetic Act is a strict liability 
misdemeanor statute, misdemeanor criminal statute. So that has real consequences. Um, you know, and, and I don't think many CEOs want to have uh, criminal misdemeanors uh, with related to the, the class of goods they're selling associated with their name for something that FDA basically gets to go. You made the list, you didn't make the list. And to your point, there's no specifics on there's no specifics or no protection on what gets on the list. And based on recent activity, like on NAC, where it was a disagreement on really technicalities, it wasn't about the safety. Uh, similarly, CBD, where um, there hasn't really, you know, we haven't seen any real call for a safety issue with products out there, yet the agency goes, these aren't dietary supplements. These are the sorts of things that there's no clarity um, and could have catastrophic, you know, really catastrophic um outcomes for those products yeah what i'm really mostly seeing here especially is like uh our our industry is really held up in a lot of ways by small business owners on the way up that find new innovation uh you know we obviously we see a lot of large businesses that might be able to weather the storm but a lot of small businesses would not be able to get through this is is really my first thing that i saw when i uh saw where this was heading um, I also wanted to kind of talk to Joe a little bit more about the commercial side of things. Joe, with your, your past in uh, GNC and vitamin shop, and especially with a little bit of a discussion we had earlier about Deshea yesterday, this made me really wonder where things are going to go with how, because they, they kind of enforce a little bit of intra-industry regulation, but how does that come into play with the large scale of the industry? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, Ben and Mike, thanks for, uh, thanks for hosting us. Uh, this is a really important issue, I think. Your audience uh, really um, should be aware of what's going on in Washington, D.C. Uh, with regards to the products that they purchase. And uh, thank you for jumping on this so quickly. Um, so hats off to you guys. You know, uh, to answer your question, Ben, you know, from our perspective, I, I come at it from I spent a lot of time on the retail side. Uh, more recently, though, for, uh, on the ingredient side, um, you know, our, our concerns are that essentially our business and there's there's other businesses like ours where we're investing substantial sums of money into, into developing novel, novel ingredients for the industry. And this is really, you know, the, the reason why we exist is to provide innovation, novel ingredients to the brand marketers and the manufacturers so they can bring, uh, you, know, you know, amazing new products to the consumer. And the consumers, I think particularly the consumers that are in, in your community, in your audience, are the ones that are highly involved in the space and they're, and they're really looking for that innovation. So we're, we're making all these investments and, and companies like ours are, are checking all the boxes. So we're, we are doing the, the safety work, the tox work. We're doing the regulatory compliance work. Um, we're running clinical studies to, to confirm efficacy. So we're, we're doing it right. We're checking all these boxes. And, and that's, why, that's, why, that's why brand marketers want to, to use our ingredients. Well, what happens when a brand uh, formulates a novel ingredient into a product and then they, they send their label in and all the information in to FDA. And FDA says, um, we, don't, we don't agree that that ingredient um, should be listed. So we're not going to list your product. Well, what happens is that product now under this bill <clears throat> does not make it to the store shelf. It does not make it to uh, the online retailer. And the brand marketer is now, is now stuck. And, and for who knows how long, and it could be, it could be forever because there's no recourse. Uh, for the for the for the marketer and the manufacturer, so what happens is um, that stifles innovation, because the brands are now going to be are going to become very conservative um, with introducing new ingredients, introducing new products, and the consumer loses when that happens. Um, and unfortunately, 
the, the industry, the way this bill is written, like I said, doesn't have any recourse. And if you look at, and, and Dan has spent a, a tremendous amount of time working on this NAC issue, N-acetylcysteine, a lot of people might not have heard of that ingredient, but that ingredient was sold for decades uh, with, with, with pristine safety data on it. Uh, and the FDA put out a, put out a, uh, a guide that said, we don't consider this to be dietary supplement anymore. So there, there, there's precedent for what we're talking about. Uh, and it can happen to any ingredient. If it can happen to NAC, it can happen to any ingredient. And that's really where, that's really where the concern is. I don't think, I think most reasonable people don't have a, a problem um, telling FDA what's on the market. There's really no, no reason to, to have an issue with that. But when you give them the power, the pre-market approval power, um, that turns the existing regulation on its head. I think it hurts the consumer. And I think it stifles innovation. Yeah, one thing I want to add is that, um, as Dan was saying, with this bill, if you read it straight through, I read it twice, and it honestly, it's it's sneaky. It didn't really um, seem that horrific or that that bad. That there's no, it doesn't say pre-approval is required. There's actually two different sections, and so in the show notes um, on our blog where we will post this, I'm going to kind of post some screenshots that glue those two areas together that would direct a product that has not yet been put on the list as misbranded. So that's one of the things. Um, I, I guess one of my questions is like, this just in general doesn't seem to be the way that commerce is done in this country. Uh, are there, wh what, uh, are you familiar with, is anyone here familiar with other types of products that require a pre-market approval? in order to sell or to enter commerce. I mean, the only idea I have is that this is being, these are being treated like drugs. I think that's hundred percent right, Mike. If this is drugs are really it, you know, medical devices, probably only 40% of the medical device market pre-market registers with FDA. So you go, well, wait a second. Now we're going to step up for supplements, something even past medical devices. That would be great if we can make some of the same claims medical devices make, but we can't, right? So I think there's, there's a balance here that's kind of been tilted on his head. And to Joe's point, I think there's so much information out there now. One, I think FDA can get a, you know, can get a lot of that information already. But two, um, it, it's that pre-market component where you go, we're not pharmaceuticals. We're not looking to treat, cure, mitigate disease. Um, you know, I, I don't see the value of, okay, vitamin C chewables have been out there for 28 years and you're going to change the flavor. And now you better get a, a hall pass from FDA before going to market. That just seems way too excessive. Yeah. And so one thing I want to talk about real quickly is, uh, and we'll link this in the show notes and YouTube description as well on C-SPAN, the, there's about a 10 minute clip when Dick Durbin actually uh, presented this text and he kind of used an example of an ingredient, uh, a compound known as Tianeptine, which uh, I'd like Dan to kind of explain what this is, but this is not a legal dietary supplement in the first place. And so I'd like to know, like, would this have, if this bill were passed as is, would it solve any of the problems that Dick is even talking about? Yeah. The, the short answer, Mike, is no, no way, no how. Tianeptine was developed as a drug, I believe, in China and actually pulled from the market for safety concerns. Uh, some people have called it gas station heroin, things like that. It's interesting. FDA got information on this from CSPI and Consumer Reports, which haven't always been uh, very uh, nice to the industry. But with that said, even those guys said, this is FDA in action. Um, so how the listing would work, one, I don't, I've never heard of any drug traffickers. I don't remember Pablo Escobar calling up at, you know, DEA saying, hey, my plane's flying to Miami at this time and this airstrip be there. Doesn't happen, right? So the notion that the, the criminal traffickers of TNFT are going to call up FDA or put it on the list, um, just it, it's completely ridiculous. And even if 
even if per se, let's say the listing was, a, some, some have said it's a birth certificate, which I think as we go through the elements, this isn't a birth certificate because you would know everywhere that baby's ever been in its life, which I've never seen that on a birth certificate. I don't think you guys have either, but even if it was that where FDA had to take every, anything, right? You could send them any label. Um, they're, you know, they still have to take the enforcement action, you know, with a problem like TNFT. So this doesn't address that particular matter. It's really a matter of the FDA getting out there, doing their job and enforcing. And for nine months, for them to have known about an illegal ingredient, known about it, had all the information and do nothing, um, that's none of that is in this bill. Um, so that's the problem. The folks who are selling, you know, Viagra analogs or subutramine analogs illegally are going to continue to do so. They're not going to register with the government one. And to Joe's point, the whole point of a list is it controls commerce, right? Is a lot of retailers are going to set their, they're going to go, wait a second, you're not on the FDA list. You can't, you can't get in the club, so to speak, right? The, the folks selling those products, the folks selling TNFTN, they're not selling it. Uh, you know, they're not selling at Kroger. They're not, you know, they're not on, you know, they're in the dark recesses of places you don't want to go and buy stuff. And so I think that this is, it, it's really misguided. Um, and it's just that that example of TNFTN was just completely out of left field. It, you know, and, and it was it was interesting though that he made that he used that ingredient as the example because really what it, what it proves here is is that. This bill will not enhance or improve consumer safety. Um, if it did, there might be a good argument for it, but all it does is punish the, uh, the, the companies that play by the rules. Those are the only ones that get punished. The, the purveyors of illegal drugs um, that are masquerading as dietary supplements, uh, they're outside the system. Um, they're not going to send in their label to the FDA and their address and their phone number. It's not gonna happen. So, uh, the, the responsible players get punished. Um, the consumer loses. The consumer has added costs now for the products they purchase. There's less innovation. And, and consumer safety is not, is not increased at all. And what FDA really needs to do is to uh, get more aggressive on enforcing the existing law, which they've done a poor job of doing, except when Dan was at the agency, I'll, I'll say. <laughs> You took more enforcement actions than probably everybody before you, after you combined. Um, so so they, they're not enforcing the existing law. They're not getting the synapses off the market. What do they do? They try to get NAC off the market instead. That, that is just entirely the opposite of what they should be doing. I, uh, you guys, when we talk about TNFT or the Viagra or Cialis analogs in gas stations, it's a really low hanging fruit, but we need to take it a step further. We have like prolific brick and mortar chains selling things that are right up on the FDA's advisory list of sports supplements. I mean, not, not even things that like we could argue are or are not supplements, things that are specifically written on the FDA's website that are advertised online in print media or however you want to advertise, uh, easily identifiable things. I, is this a, I mean, Dan, you'd probably be the right person to ask. Is this a, a lack of manpower? Is this a lack of interest in enforcing these things? If it's not doing this this bill, what is the correct action that the FDA could take to further actually enforce their own laws right now? No, Ben, it's a, it's a great question. I think it's a lack of power, but it's willpower. You know, regulatory agencies always ask for more money, right? Washington is like, oh, hey, and you know, now they're, they they started the printing presses again, right? Which is, you know, has its own series of problems. But yeah, I, I think it's really a willpower issue is there's got to be an interest and there's got to be, if you look at the budget requests on this, Ben, even, and I'm not talking about from a, a uh, conspiracy theorist type, uh, you know, viewpoint, but 
they, they, the industry, you know, basically the budget request was the industry is too large. We need something like this to get our hands around it. And it's like, wait a second. Um, you know, they don't, you know, I, I asked the, the, I asked the office the other day at FDA, um, how many structure function notices do you get a year? We don't know. Uh, so, you know, they they have that information there. They've chosen not to use it. They've chosen to go, hey, instead of just doing our job and taking action one step at a time, you know, to your point, Ben, you're really talking about, hey, do police work, go out and find where the bad guys are. I mean, that's, you know, that's really what it is. Um, they seem to be more interested in going, hey, we need to restrict the size and the growth of the industry because that makes us uncomfortable. That's not their job. Yeah. That that argument has been made. And I, Dan, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, the, the argument is, well, this law was passed that, that, that essentially is defined and, and regulates the dietary supplement industry. It's called DSHEA Deshay, passed 1994. Um, the argument is, well, uh, the industry has gotten way too large uh, for for the law that was passed in, in 1994. But it's it's really kind of a it's really a silly argument because the the law that, that was passed, like I said, defined and reg and and regulated the industry, which was what allowed um, a lot of new investment, a lot of new innovation into this market, which has grown the market. So the, the, by passing this law, the, the outcome is exactly what should have been expected. But yet, but yet now they're saying, oh, well, the industry got too large for the law. Well, it didn't. The law, the law, the, the law doesn't change based on a $4 billion industry or a $40 billion industry. Um, what what needs to increase is the amount of regulation enforcement, the actual enforcement, which was Dan was talking about. FDA has been asleep at the switch um, in that regard. So why would a new law uh, be any better? They can't. They, they still can't enforce the old law, the existing law, which is which is which is quite comprehensive. Uh, it covers good manufacturing practices for these products. Um, you know, there's in addition, there's been adverse event reporting. There's 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 a tremendous amount of regulation um, in this in this space, and yet they still they still like Dan said, don't utilize the information they have. They don't get the dangerous products off the market like they should be doing. But they're always saying that consumer safety is what's most important to FDA, which we'd all like to believe. Um, but yet they don't get the dangerous products off the market. Uh, not not to mention. There's already a list of 130,000 dietary supplement labels at the National Institutes of Health. Well, have they taken a look at that if they want to know what's on the market? So it's, it, the arguments really, really um, are weak. Uh, they really don't hold. When you, when you shine a light on them, they really don't hold up. Okay, so let's say that I am Senator Dick Durbin and you have my attention right now. What exactly is your argument? Um, how would you, how do you propose to negotiate with this, this setup um, aside from just like saying, scrap it all? Like where, where is the NPA? And I'm asking, I guess, for, for the NPA's sure. opinion here yep. because mine might be different, but what, was, what is the NPA's kind of negotiation line here? What needs to be changed? What are you okay with? What are you not okay with? And like, where's that line? Oh, Mike. We want you to be exactly where we are in this. So I got I got more work to do then because we want you. I mean, obviously, it's a bad bill. And, and in D.C., you don't go, you know, we'd be a really lousy association if we're advocating for you guys. We're like, hey, we're going to make a bad bill better. Right. So, I mean, that, that's the first thing is this is and there are so many nuances here. And we'll get into a few of the other ones that are just you scratch your head and go, what? I have to list every retail store this may go to. I mean, you go 
how is this, you know, so that aside for a second, parking that, I think to Joe's point is, you know, we represent responsible industry, uh, the, the folks that play by the rules. Um, I don't think, and we already submit tons of data to the agency. So if it's really about the labels and one, the agency can inspect all of our facilities and take labels as samples. They do that now. They do that regularly. That was actually in the inspection manual when I was at the agency. I think it still is. Um, so what one, what are they doing with those labels? But we'll park that too for a second. If it's really about the labels, why not just tack it on to a previously existing authority as a notification. I think it would be very tough for anybody to object to that. That seems pretty rational, right? I mean, just kind of knee-jerk response to that, Mike. I mean, is that does that seem like it would be really that horrible if said, hey, you when you submit your, let's say your food facility registration, send us your labels. I think that would be tough for people to go, oh, that's a oh, that's, you know, it's not pre-market approval. It's not, it's like, hey, we're going to send you the labels. What you guys do with them, great. But that's really the issue. Um, you know, and it's interesting, the food facility registrations, that list of who registers and who doesn't, FDA doesn't disclose that. But this particular bill has a public disclosure mechanism, which you go, that's not for consumers. That's for the trial bar. I mean, that's really like, oh, you didn't make the list. Or maybe FDA was a day late in putting you on the list for your anniversary date. Um, you know, we frequently get pieced apart by the states. There are no protections for us in this bill. So I, I think something like that is a more reasonable approach. Now, the questions are the personalities, right? How likely are these particular senators to back down and go, oh, yeah, we'll make those changes? I would say Senator Durbin has been after this industry for a while. He introduced something similar, actually, in 2013, which was met by resistance when we still had Senator Hatch and Senator Harkin in the Senate. And they quickly shut this down and said, this is a terrible idea. Um, it's interesting now you have some pieces of the industry, unfortunately, advocating for this. I can't for the life of me, Mike, determine as to why. Maybe they want a legacy to say, hey, I did something. I mean, I remember when I worked on my first piece of legislation, too. You know, it's, it's great. It's like a little league trophy. But, you know, the, the, the really, um, what's the effect for the industry? That's what people should be asking. And the effect, the way this is written, is horrible. So I think we're a long way away from negotiating. I think right now it's really time to it's time to batten down the hatches and go, no, we, we are we're, you know, 80% of the country uses supplements every day. That's what's laughable in this whole argument. People keep blurting out transparency. The industry needs transparency as if they say it enough, the bill's going to get better. Um, you know, we can all blurt out transparency as much as we want. This is going to restrict access. The fact that 80% of consumers in this country, 80% of Americans, hardworking people use supplements every day tells you that they're not looking for extra transparency. They're pretty solid on their purchase. They're not confused. Um, heck, 80% of Americans didn't eat an egg this morning. So I'd say the confidence in what we put out there globally as an industry is as high as it's ever been. Yeah, I, th I think you brought up some interesting points too. Uh, with transparency, uh, we don't have a lot of problems with learning more about where these are made, with learning about whether or not some of these things really meet the regulations. Having a NIH's listings is really funny. If you go on to the whole database of from the NIH, you'll find plenty of free workouts containing DMAA that are pr proudly listed, sold on there. You know, people go on and list things that should not be in the market at all. Having listings, having a, a centralized place where, say we have an adverse reaction with a very specifically sourced botanical, we can now alert everyone else that's using that just in case. I, I think there's a lot of reasonable ways to take some legislation here, but this pre-approval process that's incredibly vague seems to be completely off the table for me. At least, couldn't agree more. I think it's <laughs> it's horrible for the industry. Absolutely horrible. Um, I don't see how anyone can, you know, especially if you 
portend to represent parts of the industry. This is only designed at restricting growth. There's nothing here. There's nothing, as Joe said, there's nothing in here that protects consumers from illegal ingredients. And there's, you know, also, if we're going to talk, this is what's really interesting, guys, is this is the, this is going to go on the pharmaceutical user fee authorization, which is for medical products. We're not a medical product. So what are we even doing on here? One, but okay, if we're going to talk broad Deshaies reforms, right? There's a lot of things. I, I know a certain brand owner that's on this call, Joe Weiss, that I'm sure he'd like to have some IP protection like they have on the pharma side or the med device side. I mean, let's if we're going to open up the whole thing, let's really open it up. Let's not just go, hey, we're just going to swipe at your guy's leg and, and hopefully you tip over. Um, that's you know, that just seems to be completely disingenuous. Awesome. So one thing that you uh, mentioned in passing, Dan, was also the listing of retailers. Um, I think that is one thing that should probably scare a lot of brand owners on the packaged goods side. Um, not only does that include retailers, but hey, if you're in distribution, if you're selling your stuff through yep. Europa or Muscle Foods, that could be hundreds of retailers that you don't have personal contact with. Um, what? How does how does that work? Because would this even mean that? pre-approval you need to tell them all of the stores that will possibly be selling this the stores that you haven't even contacted yet ben late way to lead the witness the full business name and address of all locations at which the responsible person manufactured manufactures packages labels or holds the supplement i mean that could go anywhere what about multi-level type businesses so now does every one of your multi-level salespeople have to because they're holding supplements do they have to be a part of this i mean this is it's really, um, you know, and it's only really to serve, you know, those sorts of technicalities are are pretty clearly there for the to get sued by trial bar and class action suits and go, oh, wait, Ben, you know, you guys had uh, you guys had a distribution center at, at building A and building B and you only listed building A on your, you know, on your notice. And so we're going to sue you. I mean, it's yeah, something like that. You, you just scratch your head and go, you know, or if, you know, if a particular warehouse is out of stock, do you have to then take it off? I mean, there's just, there's so many ways you have to, you have to look at this and go, this is really, it's really poorly written. And, you know, it's not just that it's, you know, my, my, one of my favorites is on the first page on line 22 is including brand name and specified flavors if applicable. So again, if you have a new flavor before going to market, You've got to notify them. You've got not just notify them, but get permission to go to market. If, even if it's old ingredients, what's the value in that? Can I, can I also ask if, if you have to uh, get these all these labels approved and such, uh, is it possible the flavor systems, like say, they don't like where your vanilla is sourced from? It, I mean, I'm really asking, again, it was something that we don't yeah. really have the answer to of like how they're even judging these things. But all of these different sections could possibly just be denied for no reason, correct? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I, I think I think if you look at the general construct of something like this, where it's pre-market, basically pre-market registration. I hate the title of people like pre-market listing sounds pretty benign, right? It sounds like oh, hey, there's that's great. It's pre-market listing. Oh yeah, that's not scary. It's really pre-market registration approval, right? So so if we call it that and we take that premise, and you're 100 right, okay. If they don't like a claim, or let's say they, you know. Something as simple as if you have made in the USA on there in the back, they object to, and they're not going to list it. Well, then you're misbranded. Then you've got to wait to get new label stock or sticker over. And in that meantime, you're not listed on their master listing and you get dropped by e-tailers and things like that. I mean, there is no sense of reconciliation of any of that in this bill. And it's, it's vague. I think it's vague deliberately because it really gives FDA the ability to go, you're on the list, you're not on the list.
Right. Yeah. And this, this seems like it's going to open the door for politicization of so many things. Like for instance, I'm going to use our friend Doug Miller as an example. He owns America Labs. It's a very patriotic brand. And for whatever reason, patriotism is looked down upon by a lot of people. And so they may just choose, oh, I don't like the red, white, and blue on his tub. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's any methodology here that would establish like the recourse or uh, the reasoning for rejection, or maybe someone just drags their feet for 12 months on something. Well, uh, I'm not even sure if they would have you know, manufactured the product yet or not, but it just seems like there's like this slippery slope thing happening here where uh, things can get politicized for reasons that have nothing to do with the actual ingredients inside either. So am I reading yeah. that kind of right? I think you're reading it 100% right, Mike. I mean, it, there's a lot in here that there's, you know, there's so much in here that isn't vague. And there's, there's nothing in here, as you said, to reconcile any of these issues. Like what we just went through on NAC, to Joe's point, it's an amino acid. It's on the market pre-Dichea, decades. And we really disagreed. It wasn't about safety. The agency said, well, there was an NDA in the 60s, and we think that triggers the drug exclusion clause, so we're going to cut it. And it's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. And so it took us to sue them in federal court to get, and we're not even at a full reversal yet. We've got a guidance document on enforcement discretion, right? So it's like, hey, we're going to pick you up off of shaky ground and put you on shakier ground. Is that okay? I mean, I think that that's really what's um, enumerated here is that this is even shakier ground. And, and I don't understand the folks that are going, oh, no, no, you should be in favor of that because it adds transparency. It's like, I think it adds, a, to your point, I think it adds for a lot of politicization and really FDA to interpret, not based on the science, not based on, you know, we're not talking about something that's unsafe. We're not talking about something that makes a disease claim. It's something that they go, mm, it doesn't meet our particular way of looking at this rule. And so you're out of here. Gotcha. And we will, for the record, want to talk to you about the NAC lawsuit uh, whenever you sure. have a good moment to not, not in this podcast, but in a future podcast, whenever sure. there's a good like stopping point or um, resolution to that, to that situation. I think Ben was going to pop in with a question. I, I was going to ask, is there any, uh, well, we already talked about the lack of uh, possible willpower, if not manpower at the, at the FDA, but this to me seems like a, a few powers of like exponentially larger work than what is already at the helm of, of enforcing. So not only at uh, originally should they be enforcing their own laws, but now they're talking about a, I, I don't even know what the size of the supplement industry is outside of, we focus all on sports supplements, but now you're including all your vitamins, all your minerals, all your gas stations and stuff, everything. If Even if all of these people decided to actually register all of their supplements, how the, the, the manpower needed to cover all of that would be hugely larger than what they're already even willing to put forth to police their own laws. It, it just, it, it almost seems like just unreasonable to even consider this. I, I, yeah, go ahead, Joe. No, so it, it really, it, it, if you take it to its logical sort of conclusion, it, 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 it uh, kind of creates the, um, the reverse of what we want. We want, we want consumer safety to be first and foremost, we want dangerous products taken off the market. Now what you have is, tons of resources that are um, they're being dedicated to managing this product listing, right? Which does nothing to help consumer safety. Um, so you take the, you take the limited resources they have and it goes in the wrong, the wrong direction. Um, that's one of the biggest problems with this bill. It's just, it just doesn't, it doesn't solve anything and it diverts res precious resources. Um, Dan, you probably know how, how uh, many fewer percentage, fewer uh, yeah. facility inspections, the FDA is doing now that's plummeted over the past yeah. few years and is, isn't isn't coming back. 
So, you know, the, the resources they have aren't being applied in the right areas. And this just, this just perpetuates that. Yeah, we went from 600 inspections pre-COVID, and that was actually down. I think the high water mark was one year close to 800, to now they're hovering around 250 to 300. And so, to Joe's point, I think we we want FDA inspecting facilities. That's right. what we want. We want that's. I mean, you know, if they do nothing else, the best thing FDA does is inspect and test. Um, and, and so, this is a total diversion away from that. And and to Joe's point, it's also a diversion away from some of the policy issues. Like they were had no problem spending two years on NAC. CBD has been lingering for four years. We still don't have an answer. And meanwhile, much smaller governments, FDA's 19,000 employees, uh, you know, the, the Irish version of FDA, um, they've moved ahead on CBD. I don't think they have 19,000 employees looking at, you know, <laughs> or a percentage thereof. Not that FDA has all 19,000 dedicated CBD, but I, I think you get the point. Yeah, it, it seems like I should I should definitely say for the record that uh, especially myself, Mike and I, but mostly myself, have been criticized in the past from supporting the FDA's efforts a little bit too much because I'm I'm absolutely for taking off taking dangerous uh, stimulants or supplements or whatever off the market. I I back them quite often. I should really say like this is like ba uh, not backing something they're trying to do here. It seems a little bit backwards for us, but it seems that the complete opposite of what we're trying to do, um, instead of trying to take off dangerous supplements, instead of trying to challenge the industry to stay safer, we're almost taking away the resources of the entire industry to put out anything innovative at all, to, to start taking a step forward. Um, so it, it, all in all, I mean, Mike kind of asked the question of what would you guys try to negotiate, but I... I I don't know if there's any other points that are needing to be made, but I'd like to ask, like in a perfect world, what would the next step of a bill look like for you guys so that we could police the industry a little bit better so that we could make this a safer place for the consumers? Um, I mean, Joe, you want to take first shot or I'm happy to. I mean, I think it's really an accountability right. issue. Why don't we right. have an accounting, right? right? Like we, we don't know our, of the inspections they've done, how many are re-inspections, how many are second time people having issues. Those are the sorts of things. I think it's not even changing the legal structure. I think, and, and having been at the right. agency, the legal structure really works. It's, it's do we have accountability and, and do we have a goal? I mean, I think that's the other side is, okay, how hard would it be for the agency to send to the, I think the, the gas station retailers, merchants association, or some derivative thereof, their names changed a few times over the years. How tough would it be for the agency to send them a letter and say, hey, um, you guys, um, we walked into three different gas stations today and saw these products. Can you update your standards for how you stock your shelves? Um, you know, things like that would go a long way, but there's, I mean, they know where to find the issues. I mean, if we go to any search engine and type in, you know, um, steroid-like pro, pro hormone, I think we're going to find things that may not be, you know, what they should be. Um, so it's not, you know, again, this notion they can't see into the industry, I think, is completely a fallacy. And, and we really need to focus on, I don't think wholesale legal changes are needed other than, right. you know, giving us some IP protection, I think is would go a long way. I, I totally agree. Uh, you know, a, a new law is not the answer. Like Dan said, accountability um, and, and making sure FDA is actually doing the best job they can with the resources they have. Um, they can go on the internet just like anybody else can do a Google search. They don't need they don't need the entire industry submitting reams of data that they probably they really can't process anyway. They need to get smarter in terms of how they uh, look at consumer safety. A, a, a really large uh, article came out recently on how poorly they're doing in food safety. Right? Personally, I'm in the supplement industry, but I worry more about food safety than I do supplement safety. 
I mean, most people, the vast majority of people, if you look at the AER data, have never gotten sick uh, from taking supplements. Um, 80% of the, of the American population uses supplements now. Um, people get food poisoning all the time. So they're just, they're just not accountable. A new law will not fix the problem. It's just as simple as that. Like Dan said, accountability and oversight um, could go a long way to fixing the problem. Yeah, I fully agree with all, all that. Like I, I've said multiple times that we, I, I actually can trust and I can actually get third-party lab testing from out, uh, external facilities of more supplements than I can with food. I don't even know if my olive oil is olive oil at this point. There's studies to back that up. Same thing with avocado right. oil. But I know that certain brands like a Nutribio or a Revive MD of the world, they actually have uh, third-party lab tests right there on their websites. And I don't see mm -hmm. that with any food. So I, I, I want to commend the supplement industry for stepping up the past decade for sure. Uh, one of my comments like for the FDA, if there's anyone with the FDA listening, is that it, first off, Dan, it's, it's disheartening to hear that they're only doing 250 inspections. My opinion's always been that there's no point in playing whack-a-mole with small brands who are like, uh, you know, the FDA is sending a, a warning letter about a little stimulant to a brand who's insignificant in the greater grand scheme of things. I think the FDA really should go after the manufacturers who are allowing brands to, or breaking the laws for these brands. And, uh, you know, I, it's sad to hear that we're like down a magnitude pretty much of of inspections at the facilities because if you were to you know knock out a couple of bad manufacturers then that makes it safer for everyone and we know what manufacturers are really really testing the incoming testing the outgoing getting a third-party lab test but then there's a few manufacturers that definitely do not do that and those are the ones that have been running for like well over a decade so that's my personal opinion on that on that side of things no, I think that's 100% right. I mean, it, it's it, at the end of the day, and, and when I was at FDA, they actually sent us to Harvard Kennedy School to learn from a Scotland Yard cop some theories in, in law enforcement. And it is, it's a deterrent effect. If you know inspections are, like you said, down an order of magnitude, and you're one of those manufacturers that's like, eh, hey, we'll cut corners a little bit. Now you're completely emboldened to cut corners. So I think that that's really where, you know, that's where they need to address first and foremost. I mean, those are the, you know, that's kind of the, that's the broken window, if you will, that, that kind of attracts, you know, the bad parts to the neighborhood. And so uh, that's what I think, you know, to Joe's point, we want to see that transparency for them, uh, I think more than anything. I mean, people keep talking about transparency in the industry. To your point, Mike, yeah, name another industry. I've never seen a chocolate chip cookie manufacturer that puts their C of A's online, uh, you know, for, for where the chocolate came from and what type of vegetable. You know. And so I, I think that that's the industry. You know, it's funny. Some people are like, well, you know, there was a quote when the bill was released from the American Medical Association that consumers, you know, negotiating or navigating the supplement space can be scary for consumers. And it's like, huh? I, I don't, you know, you wouldn't get 80% of the country, you know, using the products if that was the case. And so I think, I think this, there's, you know, and that's the other piece is I think institutions, especially institutions with a lot of MDs tend to go, oh, you know, supplements, I don't know much about them. So nobody should use them. And I think that that always clouds some of these discussions. Yeah, it's kind of funny, you, you mentioned, uh, like the emboldening of these, these uh, contract manufacturers and brands recently with the lack of audits, I, I've noticed over the last probably two years, Brands straight up putting right on their labels, uh, just mislabeled ingredients. Uh, years back, we used to deal with uh, amphetamines being put into products, but not under the correct name and stuff like that. Right. These days, I mean, you can go to a brick and mortar store and buy stuff. You can buy straight up uh, 
uh, engine receptor modulators. Like you can right off the the shelf, and uh, it seems to me that contract manufacturers are emboldened at this point because they're not being audited frequently. Right. I mean, I've sat through FDA right. an FDA audit at a very prestigious uh, contract manufacturer that I don't want to name anyone, but it was scary at the time, but it seems that uh, everyone passed uh, for the record where I was, but uh, it, it, it seems like these brands are emboldened to, to not even care at this point. Uh, and, and that definitely calls into question the trustworthiness of some of these places, which is unfortunate to hear for a brand such as ours, where we talk about the efficacy and transparency of the industry, I feel that it is at an all-time high, despite these uh, people practicing otherwise. So I'd love to see some action on contract manufacturers that are putting this stuff into the market, where if I can see on the label one thing's being broken, I can only imagine the other corners that are being cut. If I, if I can add in, when you're thinking about contract manufacturers, and manufacturing in general. Yes, there's stateside manufacturing that occurs in the US, but a great amount of the manufacturing occurs overseas. And then when, when you talk about that, that goes back to Dan's point of, well, of these 250 or 300 inspections, how many were uh, in any of the Chinese manufacturing facilities or Indian manufacturing facilities or wherever? Um, how many were at the US? How many were repeat? visits, how many were for a real public health issue, finding, you know, listeria in something, uh, which has happened on in, in some of the proteins, uh, uh, you know. So th these are very real concerns to me. And um, the other part that I wanted to jump back to is the way that this bill is written is e products that are currently on market they have a time period after the, the, the bill becomes law, like around you know, 2023, 18 months, and then no more than 60 days after that to submit their labels for their products. So this gives the FDA a purview and a, an, an ability to review current products on market, current labels on market that they may now object to for any number of reasons that Dan enumerated earlier. So to me, the industry should be scared of that. The economic impact of this um, uh, uh, law, if it is enacted, to each company for the uh, full-time equivalent uh, um, uh, individuals that have to be hired to manage just all the, the what I'll call FDA paperwork uh, and related is, is, is uh, burdensome. And then, uh, but you know, the other part that is um, as a taxpayer um, is also worrisome is some of this is duplicitous because a lot of what the um, this bill is asking for is already part of Deshay and is already submitted by the responsible companies, manufacturers, and so forth. So, um, and the way that this is written is there's way too much uh, ambiguity. It is scary. It's not protective of public health. When you get Dr. Peter Cohen, an industry critic, saying this does nothing but waste taxpaying dollars and does not protect public health, then you know like, oh, wow, this is not just us saying this. There's other people that even don't like, care for the industry saying that this does nothing. Ted, that? Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, Peter, I mean, you know, Peter's a, um, he's a smart guy. We don't, we don't agree with a lot of his opinions, but yeah, he was quick to get that out there that this does absolutely nothing for public health. I like the duplicitous comment too, because uh, quite often 
uh, bringing back, like when we mentioned third-party lab testing, a lot of consumers are like, wow, this is incredible. I wish more companies did this. Well, you're actually required to by law. Uh, when we talked about uh, yesterday on our intro call to this, I, I asked Daniel, I was like, doesn't most of this already get covered in Deshaya? Like, and NDI's like, yes, like most of this already exists and the, the framework is already there. Just enforcing it is the lack of the matter right now. Well, and what's funny to that, Ben, is Durbin actually was one of the principal authors of FISMA, which requires the food facility registration. So he knows this. I mean, he knows that, look, you've got to give the response, whether you're a distributor, wherever you are in the food chain, and you also have the traceability issue, the one up, one down. So it's like some of this is you just scratch your head and you go, there are some bad intentions at work here, unfortunately. Yeah, well. I, I have to say, for, from, from my perspective, we've covered this A to Z. I, I really can't think of any other direction to take this conversation. So if you guys have any like closing thoughts or anything that you wanted to note on this, um, or maybe what the next steps would be from here, uh, I, I'm really great with that. Sure. The, the best next step, and we need everyone to get involved. And big thanks to you guys. And big thanks to everybody. Um, we're already up to about 5,000 emails just from ours alone. And we know you guys have fed traffic. Um, we know there are other groups, some of the health freedom groups, wherever you send an email, send one, uh, send an email or call, um, call either Senator Durbin's office, Senator Braun's office. We're happy to give you those numbers. Um, you, you can go to our site, npanational.org, uh, click on take action. It takes 30 minutes, thir not 30 minutes, 30 seconds. Um, and it sends a letter saying, Hey, we oppose this. So uh, no on S4090, I guess is, is the parting shot from us. Awesome. Well, we're definitely going to be, uh, I'll, Mike, I'll let Mike speak to what he's going to do with, with the, the blog and everything, but we're going to definitely be uh, on top of this, covering it in a lot of different content spots. And uh, we're also reaching out to a lot of the industry. There are quite a, a number of other loud voices in the industry. Just based off of my first video, we've already had thousands of people speaking out on it. So we're very, uh, we're hopeful and uh, optimistic on how far we can take this. Um, Mike, if you want to put some notes on kind of where people can expect to see this uh, going forward as well, that'd be really helpful. All right. So um, blog.pricewell.com slash podcast. That's our podcast. Uh, if this is on YouTube, there'll be plenty of links in the description uh, for the show notes. Uh, I'm thinking about making a quick place where we can just have people click like pricewell.com slash 4090 or something pricewell.com slash dick. <laughs> and then we could have it go to all the relevant <laughs> content. Um, I know that there is a uh, there was one other place, a voter voice link. I bet. Yep. Uh, yep. So we'll have, we'll link to that like right up front in the, in the show notes and that'll be a take action page. And pretty much what that does is it, um, it allows you to respond and send a letter to your, to your U S Senator and U S representative on the, if you're on desktop, it's on the right side of that page and you could kind of, you know, tweak that message as you want. Um, and I, I, I'm here in Texas. I'm going to, I'm going to give Ted Cruz a call, see if he answers the phone. And uh, cause I know he's, he's a bit of a freedom maximalist, at least uh, more so than some of these gentlemen that, that are bringing up this bill. So uh, I'm going to reach out to my Senator. It's something that I generally don't do that often, but uh, this is obviously something near and dear to our hearts. So I, I encourage anyone else listening to uh, take a look at this VoterVoice.net page and, and look at that letter, send it to your Senator as well. Mike, Ben, can't thank you guys enough. Joe, you. Doug, you guys too. This is uh, and 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 Mike, to your point, um, and one parting shot is they look at every call, every email as a vote. So it's really important that we get the numbers out there. Right, and we don't need to say anything crazy or anything. Let's uh, yeah, right. responsibly say that we want we want responsibility here, and this this bill is not that. So awesome. 
Well, uh, Joe, Daniel, Doug, thank you so much for your time. This has been uh, really great. We're hoping to, well, I don't want to say we hope to do this again. I hope we don't have to do this kind of stuff very often, but uh, it's really great having conversations with you guys, and I'm sure we'll have more industry conversations soon. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Thank Thanks. you guys for your time. Thank you.